We'll be back in the book of John, chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 16. This morning, I just want to speak for a few minutes on the subject of ask anything in my name. Ask anything in my name. I mean, believe that uh, we can ask of the Lord, that he'll hear, that he'll uh, meet our needs, that he'll move uh, according to his name. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray in the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. As we look at this 12th verse, Jesus is with his disciples. He is about to go to the cross. This is the Passover week. And we've already read the story where he has been anointed with oil. Mary has washed his Jesus' feet with her hair. Jesus has been anointed. And Jesus is talking with his disciples and he has told them that he is about to leave. Now, they are very upset. Imagine if you had the opportunity to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, for him uh, uh, to feed into your life, for him to teach you and to grow you and to minister in you and through you. Imagine as these disciples hear from Jesus that I am about to leave, about to go to my Father, and when I go, uh, there's good news that he tells them that I prepared a place that where I go, there you might be also. And so, while they're listening to his words, but they don't really fully understand what's going on. And Jesus begins to talk with them, and he uses the words most assuredly. And what that means is you can take this word to the bank. It is true. If anything I have ever said is this, from the context of this is true, then you can understand that what I am about to tell you is the truth. Now imagine if you are Jesus, and some of us, we would have a struggle with imagining that we're him, but we're about to leave, and, and we want to tell our disciples that there is power in believing in him when we ask in faith and in prayer that God will honor that and he will do it. And he simply tells them, believe in me. Believe in me. He's uh, reminding them uh, that they are to believe in him. And I'm not talking about a, a simple kind of disbelief that he exists, but a, a belief that uh, goes beyond that. And, yeah. and in this, he's telling them that even though I am leaving, that you still have a purpose and you still have a plan. And you are going to carry 
the works that I have given you to do. That God has a purpose and a plan for us. Uh, I, I say it like this sometimes, but uh, if there's truth even in it, even though it's funny, is that God did not call us to sit here and twiddle our thumbs until Jesus comes. He did not call us to do that. We have a plan and a purpose. There is a reason for us to exist and a reason for us to be his children. And he's telling them, believe in me. But believe in me. And if you will believe that you will do the works that I have done. This is not a surface belief. Not just an acknowledgement that Jesus believes, but it is written in the imperative tone. And as you look at that, it means Jesus is saying, listen to me. This is crucial. This is of vital importance. And not only am I telling you to believe in me, it is a command to believe in me. Now what does believe mean? It means to be persuaded. I mean, are persuaded that he is and that he is able to reward those that will seek after him. That's a, how many believe that he is? But not only to believe and be persuaded, but to be committed to, to put your confidence and your trust in him. Uh, the BRT uh, translation uh, says that if you're sold out to me, then you will do the works that I have done. By the way, the BRT is the Brian Roberts translation. If you haven't ever read that one. Jesus desires for us not to be just half-hearted, committed to him. He's saying, put your full trust and believe in me, uh, and then you will be able to do the works that I have done. It's an imperative command. You see, we're emissaries of Jesus. We're all on a special mission. We are ambassadors and diplomats and delegates and representatives of Jesus. And he has told us that he is coming back. And that's really uh, nothing to argue about. The word says he's coming back, but will he find us faithful to the assignment that he has given to us? Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be about what the Lord has called us to do? Because he said, you'll do even greater works. Not just the works, but even greater works than Jesus did. Now, not more important works, because he gave his life that we might have life. Uh, not more relevant uh, in that extent, but more uh, in outreach and more in number. And we're going to talk about how that's possible. For Jesus to declare to his disciples, and therefore to us, that we will do even greater works than him, there's a secret to that. How is that possible for us to do even greater works than Christ? But before we go there, what are the works of Christ? Jesus said, I come to set the captive free. He said, I come to heal the sick and to, to release the oppressed and those who are bound up. He, he said all of those things, but yet the most important work, the single most important thing that Jesus came to do 
was to sacrifice his life so that we could be saved. All of those things are wonderful. All of those things that we talk about uh, are great, but the primary work of Jesus is that he came to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to be the one and only who can save us from our sin. Luke 14.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 1 John 4.14 says, The Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Even when the angel showed to tell Mary that she would have a baby and she was to name him Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. Paul said that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom he was the foremost. John 3, 17 tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, but to save the world that through him, through Christ. Hebrews 5 and 9 tells us that Jesus became the very source of eternal salvation for those who would believe. Did you hear all those scriptures? Why so many? I'm trying to prove a point. It is the heart and the mission of Jesus that people be saved. You might argue, some denominations do, that there's not still healing and that there's not still deliverance and there's not all those uh, uh, things. I would argue against that. But one thing that we all know for sure is that Jesus came to save and he's still saving today. He came to set the captive from their sin. You see, it's the heart and the purpose and the mission of Jesus to save sinners. And the good news is that we can take part in that mission. Well, number one, you're not going to save anybody by yourself. Only Jesus can do that. Can I get an amen? amen. We can witness, though, and we can participate in the Great Commission. But most of all, we can pray for the lost. You see, God called us to a, a, a ministry of praying for the lost. All of those scriptures confirm that that is the heart of God, that souls will be saved. Do you think there is anything any more important to God than souls being saved? So therefore, we are called to pray for souls to be saved. But God has laid it on my heart that we pray corporately together for our lost loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if you are sitting here in this room, that more than likely somebody prayed for you that you would be saved. Somebody got a hold of uh, the horns of the altar, so to speak, and, and they trusted in God and they cried out your name before and character of God is to save people from their sins. Nothing is more important. <laughs> Praying for the lost both individually and I want you to take that those cards and write those five names 
on there and begin to pray for those individually. But we're going to pray for those corporately as we come together every Sunday between now and Easter. Because it's God's heart. Let me believe that God's going to save some people. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that there's power in corporate prayer. I believe there's power when two or three are gathered together in his name and they ask anything according uh, to his uh, mission that God will do it. The most important thing is that our loved ones are saved. That they're set free. That they are relieved of their blindness to the gospel. Perhaps we don't understand the power of prayer and the privilege of prayer. Sometimes I believe we struggle to believe that God will respond to our prayers. But James 5.16 tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What does that mean? In layman's terms, it means that prayer works. There is power in prayer. You can call Jesus Christ. That souls might be saved through prayer and pull down strongholds. There are strongholds in people's lives. Addictions. There are things that grip them and they cannot be released from them unless you and I get a hold of God and we begin to declare that they have been set free, that they might be able to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Strongholds. So when we pray, we come against those strongholds for the enemy. Through prayer, we plunder hell and we populate heaven. Through prayer, we come against principalities. I feel this this morning. And powers and rulers of darkness and wickedness and high places. Through prayer we attack the, uh, uh, the gates of hell and we storm the gates of hell for Jesus said that's my church and they will be successful in this mission. I'll stir your heart this morning. Sometimes we pray about everything but we forget to pray about souls being saved. We forget to pray about that release from hold of the enemy upon their lives. The disciples were, were concerned about Jesus leaving. I believe they felt like the, the ministry was just starting to take off. And what will we do, Jesus? Well, how can we uh, do anything without you here? And he said, if you'll just ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's no limit to what God can do. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible to him. And Jesus first emphasized belief or have faith. He said, then ask anything. What does anything mean? It means anything. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. You see, the Lord responds to prayer and faith being mingled together. When you simply pray and you have no faith, how many have been there? 
You, you know you're supposed to pray, but you, you really don't have uh, faith for uh, what you're praying. And it seems like it hits a brass heaven. But whenever somehow God gives you the faith to believe what you're praying for, you feel like that heaven is responding. You feel like uh, the attacks of the enemy are beginning to be pushed back. All because we pray in faith, believing that God can do anything. You see, I believe that sometimes we offend God by asking really small things. He is a big God. I preached several years ago about a big God and a big mission and a big plan and a big purpose for us. And I want you to know that it is still true. And sometimes we might just be offending God when we only ask for the small things. But the big thing to ask for, oh, help me out this morning. The big thing to ask for is that a soul that is bound, a soul that is tormented, a soul that uh, the devil has had his way with, that God gets a hold of them, and that God sets them free, and God saves them to the uttermost. God save our lost loved ones. God set them free. He said, ask in my name. What does that mean? Ask in accordance with the character of the name that you are praying in. When you pray, ask yourself, would Jesus endorse this prayer? Don't ask for things that he would not ask for. Don't ask for things that don't exemplify the character and the nature of the Lord. Don't ask for things that are contrary to the word of God. But ask for things that are in unity with the mind and the passion and the motive of Christ. How do you know what is his mind and his motive and his passion? It's right here. And you can begin to pray the promises of God. I believe it is a promise of God that he'll save our household. But God did that mighty work with Paul and Silas and they were set free from the prison and the prison guard the one who's in charge of all of them and, and he comes in and, and they begin to tell him about the Lord and he's baptized him and his whole family and they are all saved I don't know about you but I'm claiming that my whole family is coming to the Lord they might be far off but they hear the call and they are coming to Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say it by faith. My family is coming to Jesus. My family is coming to Jesus. Then there seems to be a random statement in this, but it's not random. And it's all tied together. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What is the saying? You, you can't run around and be disobedient and act like the devil and expect God to answer your prayers and to do the miraculous. The key to having prayers answered to, is to walk in obedience and to ask God in faith. Charles Spurgeon said the source of obedience is love. The very source of obedience. So to say that I love Jesus but I don't want him to tell me how to live my life is a gross uh, misunderstanding of what it means to love 
Jesus. You want to have your prayers answered. Be obedient to his heart and his mission, his design. The disciples thought, what are we going to do without Jesus? And Jesus said, you're going to do even greater things. Even greater things. Do you ever put yourself in place of somebody in the Bible? Jesus, you've been with us the whole time. I'm imagining I'm, I'm a disciple. I watched you uh, raise the dead, uh, Lazarus. I watched you heal the blinded eyes. I saw you uh, uh, take care of demons and cast them out. How can I do even greater things? Jesus, have you lost your mind? You're human. How is it possible that you and I, look at your neighbor and say you can do even greater things. But it wasn't impossible. Because Jesus, hear me, was going to pray to the Father. By the way, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in this passage. He's going to pray to the Father. And the Father would send another helper. Oh, praise God. It's not just up to me and my ability and my power or even the, the way that I pray. But there is another comforter that comes along and helps me pray. Miraculous way. It's the helper that will make it possible. And the helper was another one just like Jesus. That's what that means. Another one just like him, but not limited to the earthly parameters that Jesus was in his earthly body. That's why we can say even greater works. Because the Holy Spirit is in me, is in this one, is in that man of God, is in this these women of God, is in each one of us. The Paracletos. Do you know what that means? The one who comes alongside of you. He's with us. And when it seems impossible and we're crying out to God to save our loved ones, it's the paracletos who comes along beside of us. And when we don't know how to pray or what to pray or how to come against the enemy, the paracletos says, let me help you. It's another helper. Would you just raise your hand, Zach, and help her? You, you need to understand that. Jagger? Corey, you don't have to do it by yourself. You got another helper. Ron, you don't have to do it by yourself. You got another helper. He's with us. This comforter. This one who walks along beside us. He's with us. The advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener is what that word means. Everything and anything is possible because of the helper. If you don't believe that, let me just give you one example. Day of Pentecost. And I tell you that the helper will help even the most helpless. <laughs> even the one Peter who so often stuck his foot in his mouth and was rambunctious and, 
and, and action oriented uh, to a fault. God comes along to help Peter. Peter begins to preach. Oh, these are not drunk as you suppose. But what you're looking at is Joel chapter 2. That your sons and your daughters shall prophesy that the whole 